we're the first generation to feel the impact of climate change and the last generation that can do something about it. You're never too small to make a difference. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning. Warm greetings to all. My name is Rupesh Shrestha. And my name is Lunava Tarim. We are members of Climate Beyond Borders, or CBB. After our podcast on heavy rainfall and urban flooding, today we bring you another podcast on footprints of droughts. A drought is an extended period of unusually dry weather with no rain or less precipitation. The intensity of dry periods are increasing. Interestingly, in Olonava, different regions have different meanings for what a drought is, which even complicates the understanding of this phenomenon further. Yes, Rupesh, I agree. So far, it has not yet been sufficiently understood how long a drought will last or how severe it will be. From North America to South America, from Africa to Asia and in Europe, Droughts have caused the deaths of more than 11 million people and more than 2 billion people have been affected since the 1900s. Drought is also a costly weather-related disaster. Yes, Lonava, the direct and indirect consequences can be in various sectors such as agriculture, forestry, water supply, industry, transport and the energy sector as well as for our ecology. This would mean that both urban as well as rural areas are affected. Droughts bring in a drastic and a long-term impact on communities, including damage to crops and a shortage of drinking water. That's right, Rupesh. And these effects can lead to devastating economic and social disasters, such as famine, forced migration away from drought-stricken areas, and conflict over remaining resources. And today, we present you stories of this desperation brought by droughts and a need for action. Now let's hear from Kabir from Bangladesh, who will tell his story where the invisible becomes visible. I'm going to tell you a story about how climate change and human activity made previously invisible drought visible in Bangladesh. Bangladesh has a tropical climate with a mild winter from October to March and hot, humid summer from March to June. When we talk about Bangladesh, we always bring up floods and cyclones because they are more apparent and have direct consequences. However, since Bangladesh independence in 1971, we have observed a visible desertification process in the northwestern region as a result of climate variability and human activities. Bangladesh, a very agriculturally active and dependent country, will suffer greatly in the future if we do not address this issue. Bangladesh is heavily reliant on cross-country river for water. We do not get enough because of increased water demand in other regions from whom we consistently demand our fair share. Our neighboring country India has been diverting vast quantities of water from major rivers since 1974, which is already dying out in a vast area of Bangladesh. Unfortunately, this diversion does not bring any benefits to Indian farmers as lack of river management and climate change effects. Still now, we are conflicting with each other for the fair share of water while millions of farmers from downstream in Bangladesh and also upstream in India are affected due to unavailability of water in dry season. Politicians in, in this region should think beyond their current political strategies in order to improve the life of farmers. They should take farmers' suffering into account and ensure the natural flow of water in key rivers. They can plan for creative projects that use scientific knowledge to store the water that causes so much suffering during the monsoon. 
because of the lack of natural flow of these main rivers over times they become saturated causing rivers to overflow and disperse water over large areas people particularly politicians must think about the long consequences of obstructing reverse natural flow the activity has a direct influence of farmers life and livelihoods since it limits the supply of groundwater fish increase salinity and reduces the availability of water there are technological examples available to restore natural river flows but these two countries may be limited in their capacity for technological advancement in river management. They must collaborate to help farmers by ensuring the natural flow of water in transboundary rivers. As a researcher, academicians, I am hoping for some good decision in the near future. Now we request Netra for her story about innovation in rural India against droughts. Allow me to take you to India. I would like to share two stories that reinstate that united we are stronger. In the context of tackling drought, it is crucial to act and take efforts as a community. This is a story about a group of farmers in the rain shadow region of Andhra Pradesh where they resorted to an innovative method of groundwater pooling to survive the drought period. The technique involved connecting all the bore wells in the region with a 1.7 km long pipe, thereby giving water access to farmers that did not own a bore well. This resulted in reduced extraction of groundwater as no new wells were dug up. Additionally, the available water was used cautiously to cultivate crops that require less water intake. The region successfully survived the drought period as well the financial earnings of the farmers increased owing to planned cultivation. It is evident from the story that we can do so much more together as a community. Another innovation story I read about is that of the drought-prone Marathwada region in Maharashtra, western India. Few years back, the region had to be supplied with water through trains and water tanks. Police had to stand guard and monitor the water distribution. Must have been a struggle. However, a group of villagers revived the 143-kilometer stretch of Manjara River in the region by removing silt. Silt accumulation blocks the capacity of rivers to recharge groundwater. Enhanced water supply drastically improved the farming produce and the natural ecosystem in the village. The silt was reused for leveling adjoining farmlands. Methods such as desilting drains, gabion structures and arresting rainwater in rivers and rivulets were employed with the help of experts. The farming community has now transitioned to natural, climate-resilient farming and seeding practices including afforestation, agroforestry, social forestry, resulting in more farm produce. So where there is a will, there is always a way. Let's move to the South American part of the world and hear Pablo's take on three years of drought-like conditions affecting the region. The dry corridor of Central America is a geographical region that extends from the south of Mexico and Chiapas all the way down to the north of Costa Rica, going from El Salvador, Honduras and Nicaragua. As its name suggests, this area is relatively dry compared to others. Despite this, the rainy season had followed a more or less predictable pattern, with rain started in May, 
then having a month break from July to August, finally ending November. When I was a kid around 20 years ago, we would get seasonal workers, farmers from rural areas at my dad's small farm in Managua, which is the capital city of Nicaragua. They would come in the dry season to do some work and then leave during the rainy season to farm their small plots of land. But year after year, I started to notice that some seasons less workers would come or the son of workers from the previous seasons would come uh, instead of their parents. When I asked them what had happened with so-and-so, they would tell me, oh, they have gone to work in Costa Rica in the pineapple plantations. Obviously, since I was a kid, I could not understand why this was happening. However, in 2013, when I was finishing my university degree, a drought lasting for three years hit Nicaragua. My dad's only source of income had always been medium-sized dairy production on a property in a farm in the dry corridor and also agriculture at a very small scale on another farm in Managua. And this drought was devastating for our family's livelihood. Since my dad's farm in the dry corridor was not adapted to withstand such a drought, in the span of three years, he saw himself forced to sell most of his livestock. He went from having 60 dairy cows to something around 10. And then our family's main source of income was his small farm in Managua. Of course, my family had a better time than most families from the dry corridor for many reasons but mostly because we had large savings and another property in a less dry area of the country with access to water and other technologies. I finally realized and understood what had been happening to those farmers from the dry corridor that would come to our property to work. They had been migrating because throughout the seasons they were not being able to produce enough sustenance for their families. Since they were small farmers, most of them with no savings or a stable source of income, a small variation in the rain patterns would have a detrimental impact on their productivity of their crops, hence a detrimental impact on their livelihoods. It is not until we get to experience some drastic event that you start to understand what others might be experiencing or experiencing in the past, and I guess this is what most of us lack. Hence why we tend not to take the climate crisis with the seriousness it requires. Undoubtedly, this type of droughts in the dry corridor of Central America are due to the rapid climate change we're experiencing. Paradoxically though, Nicaragua and the rest of the Central American region are only responsible for 0.5% of the global emission of greenhouse gases. Now we invite Valentin to tell us how Northern Kenya is experiencing droughts and ways people there are coping with this crisis. In one or more occasions, drought has been declared a national disaster in Kenya, the latest being on 8 September 2021. And of all areas in Kenya, northern Kenya is the worst hit often because it's a semi-arid area. Usually, it experiences loss of livestock during this time, but also loss of human lives and generally loss of livelihood. This is despite having an early warning system but also just having an institution, the National Drought Management Authority, dedicated to address everything related to droughts. We do not even have uh, long-term strategies 
even though drought has been a recurrent phenomenon for the past centuries instead it's treated like uh, an emergency the government usually doesn't even have a budget set aside for ima- for such emergencies and often the burden falls on well wishers and the red cross and response is always in the form of relief food after the media announces devastating effects and even this relief food takes ages to get to the victims often these victims react by moving to cities and moving across borders as a way to adapt to the situation and later return when they can resume their livelihoods but when they move to the cities then they cause overpopulation and put stress on land use and most of the time the green areas are often they they are often sacrificed for for housing to accommodate the incoming populations how then can we break this cycle of emergency response the government could help populations diversify their income and in these areas agriculture would be viable if it it is climate smart but also climate refugees should be legally accounted for the government should develop policy that is dedicated to mainstreaming climate change and related environmental disaster in the management of of affected populations within and across borders rupesh can you tell your story about the water crisis in the ancient settlements in nepal i live in an old settlement in kathmandu called patan city it is also a world heritage site every day we used to fetch water from local stone water spouts called hitis in local language it is an ancient tap where all community members gather to collect water and bring it to our houses in addition to hitis kathmandu valley settlements have beautiful public squares that include ponds wells and drinking water fountains nepal receives most of the precipitation from june to september during the summer monsoon season however expanding urban population changing lifestyles along with climate change is making water resource management a challenge particularly in cities on one hand the monsoon rainfall intensity on a particular day is getting stronger and stronger and on the other hand there are fluctuations in total rainfall and in some years there is even a reduction in overall precipitation kathmandu valley was synonymous with clean water now that has become a luxury most of the traditional water supply system has dried this urban drought triggers scarcity of safe drinking water and fire incidents now there is a heavy extraction of groundwater the dependence on groundwater extraction is not sustainable as it has multiple side effects to the environment kathmandu is now water stressed we need to adopt new and improved approaches restoring and rejuvenating ponds rainwater harvesting systems green infrastructures permeable pavements stormwater management strategies can be some solutions to bring back water in our dry taps now let's find out what gulzan has to say on this topic from kazakhstan i would like to share some insights based on the experience of my country which has witnessed how irrational human ambitions and actions can lead to catastrophes such as the drying out of an entire sea and appearance of a desert in its place the rlc is a tragedy of the entire central asia and unfortunately there is a big risk of desiccation of other lakes in the region particularly in kazakhstan so kazakhstan is a vast landlocked central asian country with continental arid climate and a naturally limited water resources it has closed 
drainage basins characterized by terminal lakes that are not connected with oceans, and they are very sensitive to climate change and other anthropogenic influences. Since there is a low level of precipitation, the lakes are mainly fed by mountain rivers, and most of these rivers that feed these lakes are transboundary rivers that cross several national borders. Today, we see how these rivers are diverted by neighboring countries for their agricultural, industrial, and energy needs, and the demand for water resources will only increase in the upcoming future. Factors like the fast-growing population in Asian countries, economic and the political ambitions of China and Russia, make the task of maintaining water balances and sustaining ecosystems difficult to achieve. Another important factor is climate change. Due to its continentality, Kazakhstan, along with other Central Asian countries, is heating up faster than the global average, with potential warming of 5.3 degrees Celsius by 2090. Nowadays, the country already experiences extreme climate events, such as intense droughts, heat waves, and ecosystem degradation. Due to global warming, mountain snow and glaciers are melting fast. This in turn leads to reduction of water resources in the future. According to recent projections, climate change will lead to 15% reduction of water resources in Central Asia after only a few decades. This is a very disturbing sign for an already water-stressed region. Both man-made climate and non-climate factors put pressure on water resources, and a no-action behavior will lead to another catastrophe. Despite the high complexity of the problem, I believe that the issue of water availability can be solved. Water experts acknowledge that the current water crisis is not a crisis of scarcity, but a crisis of governance, and the concept of water use and allocation should be reconsidered to a more rational and holistic approach, with high adaptive capacity to external stresses such as climate change. But for the implementation of this approach, policymakers should recognize that the ignorance of the problem will lead to failure in short and the long term for all parties. Let's zoom into Bhavna who will bring up cases from Cape Town City, which suffers extreme impacts of water scarcity in South Africa. Increasing anthropogenic emissions has resulted in fluctuating weather systems, causing widespread havoc in countries across the globe. In recent years, South Africa is no exception. Now, while South Africa has been experiencing some minor drought and rare flooding from the 1970s, the country was not prone to weather extremities. This has since changed. Over a three-year period between 2018 to 2021, three provinces in South Africa experienced one of the most severe droughts in the country's modern history due to prolonged rainfall deficits and low dam levels. The consequences were far-reaching, impacting food and water security, affecting human, animal and crop health, and causing the economy to contract, where decreased crop yields caused losses of up to $400 million and resulted in tens of thousands of jobs being lost. The drought in South Africa made global headlines, as Cape Town was deemed one of the first large metropolitan cities at the brink of total water scarcity, termed Day Zero. However, mitigation and adaptation measures were enforced, whereby water would only be supplied to essential services, residential water supply completely switched off for days on end, and rations being made available at collection points as well as penalizing heavy users for overconsumption. The country was placed in a state of national disaster, 
allowing the government to provide around 140 million rand in monetary funds and support for farmers who contributed to food security and foreign exports. Day Zero has since been a learning curve for researchers, scientists, citizens and the South African government, with efforts being made to diversify and secure water systems in the city, including exploration of desalination plants and groundwater aquifers, installing water pressure systems, and media campaigns on water conservation, the latter proving an effective method. Furthermore, active citizenship by the city's residents resulted in Cape Town's water consumption reducing from approximately 780 megalitres of water per day to below 550 megalitres in a span of three weeks. And while the arrival of heavy rainfall saved the city from reaching day zero, the mitigation and adaptation measures should not be overlooked. Let's listen to Shibira about the effects of droughts to farming community in Ethiopia. Ethiopia is known for its recurrent drought for centuries, and since the 1970s, more than 10 drought incidents have been recorded in the country. Here, I will only mention the recent phenomena of droughts in Ethiopia with some figures. The drought occurred in 2015 was due to the main rain season locally called cramped was late and below normal conditions, and this was one of the driest years in large parts of Ethiopia. Following this drought incident, the government called for emergency assistance for 10.2 million people. Just recently, rainfall, which was expected between October to December 2021, was below average. And due to this, extreme drought conditions are now making the third consecutive poor seasons in southern parts of Ethiopia. The worst affected areas with these droughts are Oromia and Somali region. Due to less pasture and water availability in these parts of Ethiopia, over 220,000 livestock, predominantly cattle, have died. Based on a government report from November 2021, herd sizes in southern parts of Oromia are now reduced by half from 2014 levels. Just in these last three months, over 120,000 livestock, mostly cattle, have died in Somali region. In this right moment, thousands of livestock are dying and many pastoralist communities are feeding their cattle from the straw grasses that they used for their roof arches. I personally wonder why it's always the pastoralist community who are most affected by drought occurrence, whereby there are options to send cattle to areas where they can survive the dry season or distribute some water tanks to affected areas. It's possible to reduce the impact if it is well planned by the Disaster Risk Management Commission, as this is a national agency responsible for disaster and risk-related casualties Early warning systems has to be implemented and severity of the effect from the drought has to be minimized. This could be done through building rainwater harvesting strategy and other means of water source diversion for pastoralist communities. Farming communities should also be alerted frequently about seasonal shifts occurring in the country and research should be conducted focusing on early warning systems so that farmers can also shift the seasons of sowing and harvesting following seasonal changes. Researches, those are conducted on mitigation and adaptation strategies, should be well communicated to the local levels so that it will not only stay on papers but implemented to minimize the risks.
Let's pause for two seconds. To grasp the gravity of this situation, highlighted through eight different stories, each speaking loud about the near impossible reversal to pre-drought conditions and the extreme situation of migration. We do not want deserts cropping up in our futures. Although the impacts of drought might seem distant and alienated to most of us, even in the world of science, there are those that have been impacted by it and at the scale that is desperate and implying for immediate action. Every day we hear newer and worrisome stories. Countries that are least responsible for causing climate change are the ones suffering the most from this effects. Yes, Lonava, we are starting to realize the gravity of the situation. And it is not just one country, but multiple countries that are affected. This calls for a global action. I am reflecting on solutions that I took from our speakers. Solutions like restoring natural river flows, transnational cooperation, technologies that can reduce reliance on groundwater extraction. They all have potential to reduce scarcity of water in future, isn't it? Yes, that's true. And also, we have to focus on natural climate smart farming with cautious use of water. I believe developed countries supporting the developing countries could go a long way in enhancing their capacity through technology transfer. Also in areas where droughts exist, simple measures such as restoring ponds, conducting afforestation programs along with promotion of rainwater harvesting systems and green infrastructures can prove beneficial. Yes, and further research on cost-effective early warning systems and farm diversification is necessary. Consideration on management approaches of water use and water allocation should be there. And how can we forget communication of scientific findings on both mitigation and adaptation to people at the grassroots level is more important than ever. Yes, Rupesh, this topic needs strong research, innovation and much stronger focus. It is time to imagine, get into another shoe and think what it is like to struggle for basic needs such as water. With this, we hope we have been able to ignite our listeners to yet another aspect of climate change. Lonava, now we have to say bye to our listeners. On behalf of us and our speakers, we thank you for listening to us. We are currently Alexander von Humboldt, International Climate Protection Fellows. And we are implementing our research in Germany in the field of climate protection. Hope we were able to take you around the world. Let's meet again when you tune with us once again for yet another interesting topic to ponder upon by Climate Beyond Borders. Bye-bye.